figure this out this mirror's got me trapped in fear and self-doubt i've held to the ghost of the things i hate most about myself if my reflection is a child of the king it's a perspective that i need to believe the truth is you love me more than i could ever love myself everyone. Good morning, River Church 1030 service. It is so nice out. So good to be with you guys. Everyone hanging out at home, tuning in. We're so thankful you're joining in. We just pray that you would encounter God's love this morning. So if you're with us, you know, go ahead and stand. We're going to jump into worship.
set our hearts on you this morning. We sing this together, all the saints and angels.
focus our hearts and minds and thoughts on that which matters ultimately. Thank you for this gorgeous day and the beautiful flowers blooming on the hillsides and the hawks flying overhead and the green of the grass and the cool of the shade. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, goodness gracious. Thank you so much, Amanda. What a great worship leader. Can we have a hand for Amanda, our incredible worship leader? Seriously. And there's always like some new folks in the mix. We got Ben over here. Ben's just making it happen on the old guitar. And uh, thanks so much, Troy, for singing with us too. And the whole team, man. Goodness gracious. Eric back there. Godwin making, making some things happening on that keyboard over there. Making that thing sing. It's like a jazz brunch here after church service. If you want to hang out, just bring some mimosas and we'll just make it happen. I'm kidding. That was a joke, people. Not really. So it's good to be with you. I'm taking my glasses off so I can see you. Um, it is incredible. So if you're at home watching right now, I hope your view is even half as good as what we got going here. But it is, as I mentioned in my prayer, we got the flowers blooming on the hillside. There's a nice little breeze cruising through. And I love... Jake and Kirby, my family, are back there with Basil. How's he doing? Is he doing good in there? Little baby Basil. He's just like chunky monkey. Cute little guy. So we start our services on the beach as the sun kind of crests over the hill. And I read this Psalm 108 that like, Awake, O harp. Awake, O lyre, which is like an instrument. I sing the songs that awaken the dawn. And what's so neat is, at least when you're a pastor and you go to both services, you kind of get to enjoy the, the hours of the day, seeing new folks, some old folks, watching um, people connect, hearing from God's word, and, and singing. It's kind of like serenading the whole day, saying, this is about God. We're worshiping him. So um, I just am always so grateful to be able to be up here. If you're new with us, we want to say welcome, like truly. And if you're new with us online, just checking us out. Um, we're just delighted that you spent some time with us. And we hope to, if you want to get to know us, you can go on our website. We have all sorts of information there. Um, but the main, the main thing I want to say is you're part of the family this morning. Even if we don't see you anymore, you're part of the family this morning. Um, so welcome. Okay, I don't have much to say other than... Just put it on your radar, not this weekend, but in, on May 2nd, on May 2nd, we're just going to have an all-beach service. It'll be the normal time, uh, 8.30 a.m., all-beach service, because Norris, they're doing something here. They're building something. We don't know what it is. It's kind of a mystery, but they're building. It looks like a platform, perhaps. Any other ideas out there? Maybe an amphitheater? So they're going to have like a uh, gladiatorial exhibition here. We don't know is the point, but we're not going to be here to find out. We'll be at the beach. And we're also encouraging folks, not next weekend, but the weekend after, when we're doing all beach, you know, bring your uh, your spike ball. Bring down your cooler, your igloo. Hang out a little bit. We might do a little, uh, little bronzing down there afterwards. Maybe get in the water. Todd's a good waterman himself. Speaking of waterman, Todd, get up here, would you? You stinker. Love Todd Windorf. I just want to say as he walks up here, um, this is a man of integrity. I love this guy. I love him for so many reasons. And 
Todd, bring the word. Let, let me pray for you to make sure to get all the errors out of your sermon. I'll, I'll pray them out right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. Lord, thanks so much for Todd. Thanks for this chance to not just hear from Todd and his thoughts and reflections, but God, more importantly, to hear from our sacred tradition, yeah. the scriptures, your word, your voice, Jesus. We want to hear from you. So rearrange the furniture in our hearts and minds mm -hmm. this morning. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, James. They say that the worship and the MC brings the preacher to the 90-yard line. So really, all you got to do is run 10 yards and you got a touchdown. And today was de definitely one of those. I'm telling you, James, you got me to the 90-yard line with Godwin and the worship team, so thank you for that. And uh, I will personally be signing up for that brunch. Uh, that sounds really exciting, the jazz brunch. And if you're here after the service, hang on, because I'm going to encourage this worship team just to let it go. I mean, just let's, let's hear what they have to offer as we... Uh, round out our this morning um, and uh, reflect and enjoy the music that really draws us in. So, so I'm glad you're with us. Welcome. We are ending, but not ending permanently, a series or a focus that we've been doing for the last 12 weeks. If you've been with us, you know that the art of following Jesus is truly becoming part of who we are at the river. And I mean that, that we have now 12 messages, we have 12 podcasts and 12 resources online, riversouthbay.org. Go to our website, take a look at it, go through it. My desire is that you will all have seen all of it as you pilgrimage with us as followers of Christ at the River Church. That the art of following Jesus is not simply over because we've reached our 12th message this morning. We are continuing on to bring this back. We're going to do a, a, a version two. We're going to keep moving through this. We want to encourage everybody to understand that the way of discipleship is a lifelong pursuit. And so we're just offering 12 insights into the life of Christ that help us in our journey. And we are rounding out this morning in the area of sharing the news, sharing the story of Christ. James led us off two weeks ago in telling the great story, the narrative. Bill did a phenomenal job last week of introducing to us the value and importance of sharing that message. As the demoniac was healed by Christ, he went back into his community to share his story. And this morning, we're going to look at it from a totally different perspective through the eyes of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a parable, and it tells the story of how Jesus wants us to be focused on sharing his story through our lives. The Good Samaritan, we share the story. I want you to see that this morning. You've heard of the Good Samaritan law. I mean, most people, would know the Good Samaritan story. Why? It's a law that, that transcends this country that goes through very various countries and nations. It's a law that protects a person from entering into an emergency situation with somebody hurting to enable them to be freed up to offer help as best they can and not suffer prosecution or persecution or prosecution if something goes wrong. 
It enables them to enter into that situation. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. It's so well known that there's a law based upon it. Go help others. There's a great story, and I, I don't know, I, I've never forgotten the story, but I forgot the details, so I had to do some research to discover it. And in 2018, the New York Times ran an article, and there it is. It's, it's a true story. And, I, and as I recall it, it was a story about a person that picked up or gave, lent some money, and I couldn't remember the details, a very wealthy man and uh, some money or, or, or helped him out in some way, and it turned out to be somebody very famous. And I didn't remember the details, and I discovered that it's Howard Hughes. In 1967, a man named Melvin DeMar is driving to Las Vegas and sees a man lying on the side of the road, picks him up, and learns that it's Howard Hughes. Now, the story wouldn't go anywhere, but the fact that Howard Hughes would die years later and what he believes left a written will that enabled Melvin DeMar to claim one-sixth of his wealth, which was, at the time, about $153 million. Now, it was contested, and uh, there were very various written wills that, that were produced after Howard Hughes passed away, and all of them were considered to be fraudulent because Howard Hughes left no will. At least that's what we understand. But this man claims that he had the written will of Howard Hughes that when he picked him up and dropped him off in Las Vegas and cared for him in his distress, he was honored with this reward. The Bible tells a different story. And the story is caring for somebody in distress and walking away without reward. And the question is this morning, not what did the Samaritan do, but why did he do it? And I want to get right after that. That's what I want to focus on this morning. It's not the details of what happened. We all know what happened. I don't even need to read the text. You all know this guy was going down to, down to Jericho, this Jewish man, this stranger, and fell into the robbers, and, and, a, and a, a priest and a Levite came by and walked the other side of the road, and then the Samaritan stops and cares for him, and that's the story. And we know that. But the question is, why did it happen? Why did Jesus tell that story? And you got to know the why. The why is everything. The what leads to the why. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read the passage. And then I'm going to introduce you to some uh, modern day, all American, average, ordinary people that cared for somebody else. And then I want to explain this passage to you very briefly. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 30 to 37 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. But what comes before it helps us set up what is to be the main point of the whole teaching. Because what comes before is the lawyer who is a leader in the nation of Israel, in the religion of Judaism in the first century, this is a religious leader. Comes to Jesus and asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says, I'll tell you how you inherit eternal life. You got to follow all the law. But let me sum up the whole law with two ideas. Love God and love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love 
your neighbor as you love yourself. And if you do this, you fulfill the whole law. The entire law is summed up in two ideas. That's profound. That we spend so much time trying to figure out the law when there it is. I mean, we complicate things when Jesus makes it really simple. This first idea of love came really clear to me when I was trying to figure out whether to marry my wife, Denise. And I was trying to be all spiritual about it. And we went and did fasting and prayer. And, and uh, we sought the Lord and got counsel and went through premarital stuff. We wanted to make sure that we were on the same page. And I remember going up to Oakland. A man that mentored me when I was at UC Berkeley, John Bruce, mentored, my, mentored me as a, as a college student. We went up to see him and, and I wanted to introduce John and his wife Lori to, to, to Denise, my girlfriend who I loved and, and I thought for sure this is the one I should marry. And I got John aside and Denise and Lori were doing something in the kitchen or whatever. And, and so John and I were sitting and I said, John, I just don't know whether to marry Denise. And he goes, I got two questions for you. Do you love her? I said, yeah, I love her. Does she love you? Yes. Does she love God? And I said, yes. He says, well, marry her. What are you waiting for? You got to figure it out. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify relationships here. Let me, let me just be really clear. There was a, there's a lot more that needs to go on. But when it really comes down to it, understanding that you love God and that your partner loves God is really important. Why? Because it's a summation of the whole teaching of the law. It's what it's all about. Go learn how to love God and love people. Then the lawyer says, well, okay, who's my neighbor? Isn't it interesting when Jesus simplifies it, the lawyer complicates it? Who's my neighbor? Let's be really specific. You say love your neighbor as yourself. I'm only going to love my neighbor, so who's my neighbor? You know what that is? That's a loophole. Do you remember W.C. Wells? He was like a comedian, an actor. Well, someone says, and I don't know whether this is true, that when he was on his deathbed, he was thumbing through the Bible, and someone looked at him and said, you're not a religious man, what are you doing? And he said, I'm looking for loopholes. We're looking for loopholes. How can I get out of this? If I can figure out a way to pinpoint my neighbor and decide that's not my neighbor, but that's my neighbor... That way I don't have to do it all. Jesus was going after the heart. He goes, let me tell you this story. I'll tell you how to find your neighbor. Here it is, Luke chapter 10. Here's the whole story. Uh, a man was going down. We know he's a Jewish man from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the robbers and they stripped him and beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. He was probably mostly dead, not half dead. In the story, that's kind of how we sense it. This is a 17-mile trek going straight down 3,000 3, feet, 17 miles. If you've ever been to Israel and you're in Jerusalem and you got one of those watches that shows your altitude, you start watching it. Okay, I'm at zero. I'm at negative 100, negative 200, negative 500. You're going below zero on your altimeter. And you're dropping down, and it's dangerous terrain. And this Jewish man, for some reason, probably traveling down there is where his community is or whatever. He was going up to, the, to Jerusalem to do business or whatever. 
and he falls into these robbers. He's robbed, he's left for dead. The priest walks by, and when he sees him, passes on the other side of the road. Jesus doesn't say why, but we all know why. It's all about context. The whole point of this parable is context. That you and I don't understand by, a, by just a, 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 a passing summary of this reading of this parable. We got to understand the context. Let me explain it to you. So the priest goes by, walks by. The Levite also, when he sees, uh, comes by the same place, sees him, passes by the other side. But a Samaritan, the Samaritan sees him, stops, and it says, feels compassion. Splognitzimai. What a word. Splognitzimai. That's the Greek word for feeling within your bowels mercy, compassion. Not just feeling it, but actually feeling it to the level where you feel hurt, you're hurting and you want to do something about it. You want to help somebody. You want to get up and do something. You're going to do something because you feel it so deeply in your soul that this person is in a really bad state. I can't walk away. I can't. A Samaritan in Jewish territory, stooping down to look at a Jew, doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't have happened. This is insulting. This, is, this parable in itself is shocking to Jesus' audience. You would never put a Samaritan helping a Jew. Stops, and as you can see, bandages him up, pours oil and wine, probably a little first century first aid kit, wine and oil to be used to help heal this person's, begin the healing of this person's wounds, put him on his beast, brings him to an inn, cares for him, and the next day, hands the innkeeper two denarii, two days wage, gives it to the innkeeper, says, take care of him, whatever more else you spend, when I return, I will repay, repay you. And Jesus says, which one of these people proved to be a neighbor of the man in this terrible state? And then, of course, the lawyer had to say, the one who showed mercy toward him. Absolutely. It's showing mercy. That's the whole point. So what does it look like for us? I'm going to share the why. This Jesus puts the Samaritan in the story who stops and cares. Why do you and I do it? I'm going to explain that, but let's modernize this for a moment. Terry, Kevin, Terry Fisher and Kevin Catlin, you guys are great. I love you guys. Come on up. I would love for you. Let's give them a warm applause and let's thank them for coming up to tell their story. The, these guys are in the corporate world. They do consulting and help people find their purpose all day long. And you guys pour into people all day long. And yet you're going to tell a story of how you poured into someone that, uh, really is not in the corporate world at all. Somebody really outside of all that. So are you supposed to use this mic? Is that the mic? Great. Okay, so Terry, come on down around next to Kevin oh, got it. Okay. and uh, tell your story, will you? Thank you. All right. Uh, good morning. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Great. Um, before we tell our story about a young um, homeless woman, just wanted to say a little bit about our relationship with the River Church. Back in 2012, I had a friend that was in pain, and I reached out to my friend Leslie Allen and said, um, I need to go to church. 
Um, and she showed up 15 minutes later. I'd never been here. She showed up 15 minutes later, picked me up, brought me to the River Church, and when I arrived, I'm like, this is our church. So mm. I'm very grateful for the experience we get to have. There's a bug in my face, sorry. Bugs follow me everywhere. But um, so with that, Kevin's gonna start telling the story. Thanks, Terry. So yeah, yeah let me jump right in. We, um, I'm driving down the road heading towards Ralph's to pick up a steak for dinner. And it's gonna be a good steak. <laughs> and a young woman crosses in front of us right in fr on uh, Rolling Hills Road, mm. or in front of me. And my spider says, said, something's not right here. But what mm. could I do? You know, as she moved across, I took my left turn, I went to Ralph's, I bought my steak, I came back. On my way back around, there's a bundle of her stuff sitting on the grass under a tree. And this was a very cold afternoon, very cold, turning into a very cold night. And um, so I had to investigate. I spun around, I go and I look to see what, why her bundle is sitting there and she's underneath the bundle, right? And so I knelt down, and I've done this before, knelt down and asked somebody if they're okay. I gave her enough space because mm -hmm. I've had people really freak out when I come up to them in this way. And I said, are you okay? And she lifts her pretty young face up and says, I'm okay. I said, darling, you're not okay. You're not okay, mm -hmm. right? And then she had the sign, and on the sign it said, I will work for shelter, food, mm -hmm. or a shower. And I said, that's it. Mm -hmm. Now, let me fast forward a little bit. As we are trying to figure out what to do with this, this beautiful young person. Um, I put out on Nextdoor Valmonte, who, who knows how to do this? What, what, what happens here, right? I've helped people before, but we, I didn't know, quite know what to do with her because we wanted to get her into someplace safe. And um, I got all of these replies back, a lot of them offering money or time or advice. A couple of bits of advice I got a lot of, uh, of was, you're naive. <laughs> you're naive, and the other one's, you're a saint. And so I had, both of them made me laugh because I'm neither naive, uh, I grew up like a feral cat. Um, I grew up in inner city Detroit. I joined the army the moment I turned 18. So I'm, I'm many things, but I'm not naive. Um, the other thing is I'm certainly no saint, right? In those same years of this growing up, I lied, I stole, I was prone to anger and even violence at times. Um, not things that I'm proud of, I was crude, I was profane. And still are. And <laughs> The last two, maybe, not the others. Um, but, but really what moved me at that moment is that I'm a father. And this young girl is not going to lay on the ground tonight. And I'm not going to drive away in my big Mercedes and, and go home and eat my steak. And so I take her home. Now, um, she wanted a shower, but of course, I can't do that. I can't be a part of that. So I was waiting for Terry. Terry, please come home. Terry comes home. I said, Terry, she, had no, she didn't know she was there. I said, Terry, this is Cheyenne. Terry raised her eyebrow at me, and after 33 years, I knew exactly what she meant. She meant, uh, I know what you're doing, and we've got this. Uh, but the thing, the backstory is, the thing that I just want to share about Kevin, is that this is not the first time a stranger has ended up in our home. Um, there is, I remember coming home one day, and there was this big man, filthy dirty, and all he wanted was a shower and clean underwear. And I walked in going, we have kids at home. What the heck is going on here? But it turns out he just, that's all he wanted. Kevin will walk by people since I've known him, since I was 24 or whatever, and watching people on the street, he just can't pass by somebody in need and not reach out. And he goes, he just goes further than, than most people. Um, when the Mormon missionaries come to the door like they do quite a bit, 
especially our house, because they always end up at our dinner table having a dinner with us. So we get a lot of missionaries at our door. Um, but that's just sort of, that's who he is. Okay, gotcha. So anyway, so what ends up happening is that um, we decide that we're going to feed her. So we fed her. We built a fire. It was very cold and windy. We, um, we, we, um, I went down to my closet and, and got her some, pulled some clothes off and gave her some clothes. And we just figured we were going to start dialing for shelters, you know, and we'll find her a place that night, Friday night. Uh, we wanted mostly to hear her story. It turns out that um, as we started... Um, as we started uh, you know, dialing for shelters, basically, an hour goes by and all these dead ends, wrong, misinformation, dead ends. And I remember stopping and saying to Kevin, you know, maybe this is happening for a reason for us, that, that we're supposed to come across this dilemma and figure out a way to help other people who face these same dilemmas, seeing somebody in need. Um, we did hear her story. It was quite lovely. Um, all I, the part of the story I remember is for her to stay warm, she had to be on a public tr transit. She was on a bus. She was going back and forth on buses to stay warm. And Kevin, there was another part of her story, too. Well, she told me, I mean, this was a, a, a lucid young woman, which makes me think that this story should have a happier ending. Because I felt as if, you know, I mean, we, we, we take pills now for anxiety, and she would, she was not that far out, but she did say some things. She told me that her mother and her sister had been murdered in, in Lancaster. I don't know whether it was true or not. She also told me that Donald Trump's accountant was following her. And so that, so she would, you know, go uh, step on both sides of that ability to be in reality and abil ability to not be in reality. Um, but she was a, a kind, polite, yeah. decent young woman Articulate. who deserved better. Here's a couple lessons that we learned. Yeah, you know, so what ended up happening is we, we basically made the choice. We couldn't find any place for her that Friday night. So we said, she's got we're just going to have her sleep over. So we built this makeshift bed in front of the fireplace, and she just slept and slept like a baby, so content. And I remember thinking, seeing her in front of the fireplace, it was both heartbreaking and heartwarming that she had a place for a night. The next morning, we woke up, started dialing for shelters again. All in all, we made 40 phone calls. We spent several hours, still nothing. Finally, Kevin says, I'm going to call Joseph Hamilton, Martin House founder. He calls Joseph. Joseph gives us a lead up in Los Angeles. Um, and Kevin will tell you about what happened there. Um, and before that ending of this story, I just want to say that we, we did, we learned a lot. We learned a lot about this dilemma is larger than we thought, that, that being homeless on a weekend plus COVID is not the time to be homeless. Uh, no one was taking people, and for all, all sorts of reasons. They just couldn't take her in. And so that's why we had her spend the night. But I really believe that it was God's will uh, for us to stumble across this. And we ended up we're creating a resource list of all the phone numbers we called and what they're there for and what they're not there for. And we'll make that available on the River Church uh, website per Todd's advice there. An ending to the story. So the system is broken because there was really no way, nothing you could do for her. And, and except that the River Church, Denise especially, and, and others reached out to us. And so there was a wellspring of people who wanted to help.
There was a wellspring of people who wanted help, and I think that's the only way it's going to work because institutionally it doesn't seem to be making any sense. And, and so here's what happens. We finally find a place. It's in South Central. Now, when I was poor, it seemed like the rich lived a long ways away. Now that I'm rich, the poor live right. It took me 15 minutes to get into the middle of South Central from my house. And I can't find the place, so I'm driving around the area, and it's bleak, and it's desolate, and it's ugly. And she wakes up because she did a lot of sleeping. She wakes up and she starts to freak. And what it was is she said, I've been here before. This is a bad place for me. I need to get out. So I pulled over and I talked her through it a little bit. I said, you said you wanted to get some help. Let's see what we can do here. And I pull in to finally find a place and I pull in and it was bleak and it was mean looking. And it was, I mean, I've been in a jail cell. The jail cells are better appointed than the rooms that they were going to be in. But what, what could we do? I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I mean, we had a Valentine's Day dinner at the Strand Supper House in, in, a, in 24 hours. And this is the sort of first world thinking that happens. What am I going to do? So I, we give the place $500. Uh, I tell them I'll, we'll pay for it as long as she needs to be here. And um, I walk out and she's gone. She's gone. So the story deserves a better ending. As I'm leaving, trying, I'm going to try to find her, but the neighborhood doesn't want me to be there. I can tell. Um, a young girl walks by my car, can't be 15 years old, um, barely dressed. She had, the only thing she was wearing was a tight little short skirt as she's walking down the middle of the street in South Central. And, I, and I, you know, as a father, again, my heart was broken. And so that was it. All we were able to do ultimately was a couple meals, some safety and some, uh, some sucker during a, a tough time. But I sure wish it could have ended better. I think we could have done better. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Terry, for sharing your story. I, I, they didn't ask to share that story, and I asked them because I um, wanted to sit for a moment just with us. What do we do? What do we do in those situations? I mean, there's lots of ways to help people. It's not the only way. There's lots of ways. I mean, that's, that is most certainly the teaching of this passage. A man needs help. But, but the question is, why does someone do something like that? And let me just give you the, the answer. The answer lies in the middle of the parable. It's the Levite and the priest who walked by the person in need. And Jesus has them walk by to help a nation, a people, understand what it really likes to live by mercy. See, the entire Old Testament is founded upon the idea that God showed mercy to a group of people, the Israelites. This nation received hesed, mercy, kindness. And they were instructed this is not simply for you. This is for everyone else in the world. Go show it. And the point of the passage, the context, is that Jesus looks to the center of the parable to these religious leaders, the people that should have known what to do. Sure, it would have cost them. 
They knew what to do and they didn't do it. And Jesus is saying, I'm taking you back to your roots. Mercy is something that you show so that when you show it, you will share it. See, it ties together social justice and evangelism. I was standing in a DMV line. Don't recommend it, but sometimes we have to do it. Why didn't you get an appointment? You know, well, extenuating circumstances. I had to be there personally and I had to get it done. So I went down there and I brought Generous Justice by Tim Keller and I was going to reread that. I brought a satchel of books, my notes, and I knew I was going to be there a while. And three hours later, I'm out of there, but I had got, got a chance to read the entire book again. And as I'm in the line reading this wonderful book on generous justice, I'm thinking to myself, where's the line for me? The, I'm being put out here. This line was not made for me. And you know what I realized? We're all in the same line. We're all in a DMV line. And that's exactly what biblical mercy is all about. The word is hesed, which means literally bringing the gift of God to other people. It's offering the gift. It's, it's bringing it to them as a gift, which in we, as we do it, we are saying to ourselves, we are demonstrating in biblical mercy that we're all equal. Equitability. Equitability is looking around the room, looking around the community, looking around the world and saying, in God's eyes, there's no special line for you. We all get in the DMV line and we all go through it and it doesn't matter who we are, or how much money we have. Because biblical mercy is extended to all of us. God demonstrated that. And so I'm reading this generous justice and I'm reading all these amazing passages over and over again. It's just beautiful. I, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal person, what is good, what does the Lord require, that you act justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with your God. See, the idea is that you are extending the kindness of God to all people because we're all equal in God's eyes. And that's the mandate from the Old Testament. Zechariah 7.10, don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant, the poor. In a pre-modern agrarian society, these are the four groups of people that had no social power. And God demonstrated that he was for them. He gave economic and social power to those four groups. In the Old Testament, as Keller points out and goes through all these passages, that if we fail to show mercy, we become the robber. Really? So when I take that idea back into this parable, guess who's in the middle? It's the robber. It's the person that passes by. It's the person that doesn't show the mercy and doesn't share the mercy, that they're tied. 
that they knew that's what they were supposed to do. And Jesus has this robber that kind of is off the scene, and yet the robber comes back into the passage as the people who failed to do what God has called them to do. I mean, I could just keep reading. Deuteronomy 4, 6 and 8. Observe carefully the wisdom and understanding you get from God. Live out your relationship with God, Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, so that people will say, surely this is a great nation, wise and understanding. And what other nation has a great God like this? So that they will see you. The way you live a merciful life, people will see that. It's bringing glory to God. See, it's tying together these ideas. We saw that in Acts chapter 2 and also in Acts chapter 6, in the early churches, they began to share with one another and show and extend mercy. It says they grew in favor. They grew in favor. How did they grow in favor? Well, it was the preaching of the gospel, but it was the demonstration of the gospel. The point is, when you share mercy, excuse me, when you show mercy, you share mercy. When you show it, when you live it, you're sharing mercy. I mean, it's, it's all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, when you get to Genesis 12, when Abraham is called upon to go be a great nation, and I will bless you, God says, and then you will be a blessing to the other nations. The word blessing means literally to offer the gift. To, to lower oneself, to humble oneself, to become humble and to get on your knees, literally, and offer a gift. That's what Israel was to do. Go offer the gift of mercy to other people. N.T. Wright, in looking at various passages in the Old and New Testament, looks at this idea of Barak in Old Testament, the blessing, and looks at the form that it's in, in the Hebrew, and it says literally to show mercy is to share mercy. That's literally what it means. And what's the point? The point of the parable is in the center of it, the ones that were given the most should have understood that. That's the idea. Yes, you have the victim, you have the religious people, and you have the Samaritan. And, and those are the three, that's, those are the three individuals, and there's the dynamic in the parable. The victim teaches us, us certainly it teaches us something. The victim teaches us, do we really understand people's plight? Do we understand their deep needs? Have we heard their story? Go deeper, understand, listen, bend down and listen. But the, but the religious also teaches us a story as well. They teach us something. And they teach us that to those that have been given much, much is required. And just as Jesus said in Mark 12, your religious leaders devour the widows, the outsiders. The point was, as Amos 5 says, let justice roll down like waters, let the righteous like an everlasting flowing stream. Righteousness, justice be done. And so the religious leader who in this sense is the robber, is the one who knew they were given much, much was expected. 
And then the outsider, the Samaritan, the one that shouldn't be even in the parable, that shouldn't be in that situation. Guess what's happening there? Teaching us. It's teaching us a very important lesson. It ties together this idea of social justice and the gospel. In that when we do that, we are building credibility. They're not the same. Yes, of course, there's times for words. There's times for, for, for action. But they're related. They're most certainly related. Some people will say, well, this is a switch. This is a bait and switch. Well, it kind of is a bait and switch because at the end of my life, I don't want to look back and say I was a nice person and that I did a lot of nice things for people. I want to look back and say that I poured my life out demonstrating God's mercy by caring for people because I truly care about their souls. So it is a little bit of a bait and switch, isn't it? I mean, I know why Terry and Kevin did what they did. I know why they did it. Sure, they want to be good people. They didn't do it for the reward. They did it because of something deeper within them. And as N.T. Wright says, it's, it's like this idea that in the kingdom of God, there is justice, there is peace, and there is joy. And those things, we live out those. We give out justice. We give out this righteousness. We give out peace. We give out joy. Like, almost like a, like a down deposit, he says. It's like the Holy Spirit that is a down deposit in our lives. The Holy Spirit in your life is a down deposit that basically something better is coming. And here's a taste of something better, a better world, a better life. And when you and I go around offering justice and offering peace and offering joy and doing what we do, guess what we're doing? Where it's a down deposit on that person saying, this is good, but there's something better coming. Something far better coming. And if you can see the relationship, you'll see it and you'll understand that there's far more of that coming with God. Do you know God? And it's a way to share the gospel without words. So this morning, what happens when we demonstrate that kind of mercy in the life of somebody else? We're building credibility. And what happens is we're uniting what we say with what we have. As they say, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I want to read just a couple thoughts from a couple different authors that I respect. John Colwell wrote a book called Living the Christian Story, and he says the world has no access to the gospel story other than as it is narrates, is narrated in the life and the worship and the proclamation of the church. Through its service and being as witness, the church is rendering a rendering of the gospel to the world. In its life, in the very fabric of who we are, in our very nature of who we are to be, he's saying, we are rendering a rendering of the gospel to the world. A rendering of the gospel. Founded in a book called Becoming the Gospel by Dr. Gorman. Excellent resource. 
Here's another thought by Leslie Newbegin, who wrote a book on the evangelicalism and the pluralistic society. And he says, how should people come to believe that the power which has the last words in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? How's that possible that the world is going to see that the answers of the world lie with a man on a cross? And then here's his answer. A congregation of men and women who believe it and live it. That's when it will change. There's our mandate. That's what it looks like for you and I to understand the mercy of God in our own lives. To show it is to share it. Father, we have, like Israel, much in the way of resources. Your mercy is renewed. Your mercy is deep. Your mercy is what keeps us going. We've been grafted in to the story of the Bible because of your mercy. And we have something to show because we ultimately have something to share. Father, I think of standing in a line that I don't feel like I deserve to stand in or I shouldn't be standing in, and yet that's the very place you want me. Because it is the place where I can touch the lives of other people. And I pray, Father, that you would you'd excite us about it. You, you would move us. You would motivate us. You would energize us. That the Good Samaritan would long live in our hearts as the why to why we do what we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Todd. Um, I love that you said we we bow we bend a knee and we offer a gift. And I think sometimes for us we don't even want to stop, let alone bend a knee. We let opportunities pass us. And you've challenged me, Todd, and and um, Kevin and Terry. Thank you so much. But think of your neighbor. Think of someone you work with. Think of someone you pass daily. And are you willing to bend a knee to offer the gift, like Todd said, and to give that, that opportunity just to love and serve like Jesus would, like Jesus would notice them. I have a, a woman on my, on my street and um, you know, she talks to me a lot about my work and what I do. And she said, you know, I just want to get together and hear more about how you work with women. Like, what does that look like? And, and how do you do that? And, but really, she's just lonely. Yeah. She, she just wants a friend. Yeah. And yet I fight that tension of just wanting to stop and 
bow a knee and serve her in however long that may take. And for some of us, we're, it's more extreme. It's, it's people that are unseen, that are unfed, that are unshowered. And for some of us, it's the neighbor next door or the woman in your coffee room at work or whatever. So just think about that. Think about who God might, may be asking you to stop and to bow a knee to. Or think about a person you've, you've passed up the opportunity to stop and bow a knee. It's probably going to cost us something. Sometimes I don't want to get my knees dirty. Good. 
searching for the one The one in whom you love and gave your son For humanity Increase my love Help me to love with open arms like you do Love that erases all the lines and sees the truth Although when they look in my eyes they would see you Even in just a smile they would feel the Father's love Sing this together, oh how you love
That is who you are to us, Jesus. You give us eyes to see. You give us ears to hear what your heart is for us and those around us. You are our way maker, Jesus. Miracle worker. Would you give us faith to believe those words this morning? Would you send us out in our weeks with your grace and your goodness and your mercy that we would extend it to ourselves and those around us? We ask that you would continue to work in our hearts, continue to show your love to us, Lord, that we may show it to others. We bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thanks for worshiping with us. We'll see you this week. If you guys need prayer, find one of us. We'll pray for you. Denise Todd, one of the pastors. James. James in the back. We love you guys. Pray that you have a great week.
Thank you.